I think what we're concerned about is just really trying to do whatever we need to do to get him better. So it's, um, again, we're talking about a really good pitcher, for one. And, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's been a tough go for him. So he understands that. And, you know, there's no, there's no concern. But I think the, the main focus is, is just do whatever we need to do to get him better. Yeah, I think just continue to stay the path. You know, um, continue to work hard every day. Uh, continue to do everything, you know, I can on and off the field. Um, to be a better person, be a better player, um, and understanding that this game, this game is hard. It's gonna kick you in the butt, um, but that doesn't change, you know, how we work. You know, we're not gonna give up on that. We're gonna keep, keep going at it, um, and, and we'll find a way to push through. That was John Schneider and Alec Manoa post game after a one third of an inning of Alec Manoa last night. It is tough. You just want to put the backspace button on that one. Point one innings pitch, seven hits, six earned runs, and a walk through 22 strikes on 38 pitches. Allowed a grand slam to Astros rookie Corey Jolks. And was the first Blue Jays pitcher to allow seven hits in the first inning since 1995. I heard some people saying, like, you know, he's he's dealing with it well, right? Like, he's, uh, you saw, like, a guy who is humble. I, I, there's a difference between being humble and being humbled, and I feel like he's being humbled more than, you know, necessarily being a humble guy because, I mean, we've seen it, right? Like, kind of, like, mm-hmm. he's he's loud. He's big. He's, he's in your face. He's talking to you. Um, humbled, I think, is the right way to put it. And it's been progressively worse in 13 starts. He's only pitched into the seventh inning twice. His last outing of five innings or more came on May 20th. If you look at the stat lines, they get harder and harder to look at. And we're now at a decision point. Maybe we were previously, but this has got to be the decision point. We believe we're at a decision point. I think that the fan base for the Toronto Blue Jays would not find it appropriate to see Alec Manoa pitch on Saturday against the Minnesota Twins. If we were the fan base making the decision, I think it would be made, but we are not. It is John Schneider and the management and the ownership of mm-hmm. what happens next with Alec Manoa. Yep, that's 100% right. And I, I, I'm one that thinks, you know, the fan base should have some say in what goes on and the fans voice their displeasure, of course, when Alec Manoa... Uh, left the game last night. And I do think that means something. Like, there are there are windows, there are pockets, there are moments when fans do have an impact on things. But I think all that's kind of moot. Like, it doesn't really matter. I think mm-hmm. the stat line tells you exactly what needs to happen. I frankly would be shocked if the Blues, Day, Blue Jays didn't make the decision to at least skip a start, get someone else to pitch on Saturday. I think that's the bare minimum. But at this point, I, I do think we're talking about something more substantial than that. I think not picking up a baseball for a month wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because mm-hmm. I don't expect him to just be like, oh, I'm in Buffalo now. I've been here previously. I feel comfortable here. I'm going to start striking out batters at AAA. No, I, I just I don't see that. I think guys are talented enough in the minor leagues to be able to compound the problems if they are not addressed at the root. And if it's just a new a change of scenery, a new league, a uh, different situation, I don't think that's like the magic fix. That's not the snap of the fingers fix to me. So I, I think they got to do something a little bit more carefully thought out than just pitch somewhere else. 
And I think first step is, hey, let's not pick up a baseball for, baseball for a bit. I certainly think that's fair. I think that the between the ears situation is is certainly at a all time low with Alec Manoa. He's spoken about it personally. He's certainly struggling uh, to I don't know deal with this big hurdle in his young career. It doesn't happen. This often, uh, for someone that has a Cy Young caliber season the year before, to have a fall from grace, to be struggling, and to have it in such a public platform, a guy that was the ace of the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, he was trotted out opening night, home opener, and he's been put in huge opportunities to succeed this year, and he hasn't been able to do it. So he's struggling mentally, for sure. And that's hard to watch. Like We we felt for Alec Manoa, we talked about it at the beginning of the, the show here, is... It's not easy to watch somebody go through that, um, especially a young guy, but there is certainly a bigger picture of if you want Alec Manoa to be your pitcher next year, the year after, you want to sign this guy. We were talking about signing him, Vladdy, and Bose, like the three young guys. How are you mm-hmm. going to make this work? Well, at this point... At a certain point, Manoa was taking priority in that. Yeah, he was. We were we were definitely thinking about maybe you just sign Alec Manoa first, and then you let maybe that makes the cards sense. play out. Well, maybe this stuff... Uh, I don't know. Maybe people are thinking maybe he got to his head, and it's hard to analyze a kid. Like he, good for him for being really proud of himself and being very, uh, you know, confident. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't shown to be a successful route this year. And, and a lot of people are doing the Roy Halladay thing, of course, because Roy, ha- Roy Halladay got sent down mm-hmm. and then went on to have a lot have of texts about Roy Halladay, one of the great careers in Blue Jays history, probably the greatest Blue Jay ever. Um, and of course, went on and had a, uh, you know continued that career in Philadelphia Hall of Fame. Uh, so it's easy to be like, oh, that's a good story. Let's cling to that and let's go with that route. Let's do exactly what Roy did. But the situations are different, right? Like Roy went down earlier. Mm-hmm. Roy wasn't third in Cy Young voting at, at that time. There mm-hmm. was That was a true remake, a true rebuild. And I think the true rebuild would be a stretch for Alec Bono at this point. Like, I don't think we've reached that. I don't think we go a third of an inning and be like, okay, let's start from scratch here with Alec Manoa. Uh, I, I don't think it's that, but it requires intervention. Intervention is the key term today. I think it needs to be stopped. What we're seeing needs to be stopped. They need to go a different route. They have to figure out a solution and work toward it, knowing that it's not going to be a simple fix, that it's not a snap of the fingers type of thing, but it has to begin somewhere. And it starts and begins somewhere this weekend with him, with him not taking the ball. All right, let's keep chatting further about Alec Manoa and his ups and downs, mostly downs so far to start this season. But maybe there's a positive silver lining we have overlooked. It's Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher and current Sportsnet analyst, joining us this morning. Caleb, appreciate you coming on this morning. How are you doing? Doing okay. I wish it was uh, a little (laughs) bit better after a a good quality start yesterday from Manoa, but that's just, uh, just not the case. Yes, we're living in the opposite realm of that, unfortunately. Maybe the, the worst-case scenario we saw last night. So, I mean, we'll talk about the the, the player perspective, as you've been um, someone that's been in the major leagues and shared some of these moments, I'm sure, with former teammates. But let's talk more like the big picture of what to do now with Alec Manoa. Obviously, there's some big decisions to make. He's scheduled to start Saturday. If you're able to make some decisions and you're in this chair, what are you doing with Alec Manoa in the next couple of days? So I talked about it on Blue Jays Central after the game with Jamie Campbell. I I really think that he needs some time off, and I think you've got two ways to go about it. You can either find some sort of phantom IL uh, injury, put him on the IL, spend some time around the team, 
but just taking a mental break from the performance aspect of getting out there and pitching every five days in front of uh, in in front of uh, major league fans, or you can just straight up send him down to AAA and go say, hey, go continue to pitch and and go build some confidence up. Um, those are the two ways that you can kind of fix this. I, I think there's a way where they can kind of get a little of each. And for me, the option of going on the IL, you have the ability to do both. You can go on the IL in terms of take a break, relax, continue to throw some bullpens, continue to maintain your workouts around the team. So you're still in the vicinity. You're still being seen. You're still a part of the club. And then once there's a bit of a mental break, maybe a week or so, who knows, then maybe you can go make some rehab starts down in Buffalo. And so you can have a little bit of both. I, I just feel like he needs some time away. I feel like he's at a point where mentally he is probably drained. Confidence-wise, he is probably on empty. And at some point, you've got to be able to recharge both of those categories to really compete in the big leagues. Yeah, the next pitch he throws should be in the minor leagues, but that doesn't mean it should be this weekend, right? Like you can you can find that hybrid approach where you're just taking a little breather and then you go back to the bump in a less stressful scenario, not around major league fans. I mean, I think that makes the most sense because what we're seeing now, like I think you're risking irreparable damage. Like there, there's a point, right, where you reach as an athlete if things like cannot get back on track. And I don't know if we're there yet. I don't even know if we're close to there yet. But in your experience and your, you know, what you know about ball players and, and who you've been around is there a point where you, you can't come back? Do you risk irreparable damage if you keep putting him out there on the mound this year? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. That's exactly what I fear the most as well. There's a lot of talk about, well, who, who are you going to bring up? Who's going to start the next game? That's, that's not even really the most important aspect. For me, like you just said, it is the potential of irreparable damage. Uh, this is a very tough league. Major Leagues is absolutely relentless, and it doesn't stop and give you a big hug when you're struggling. Those teams on the other side, they don't let up when they they know that you're having a rough go at it. When they smell blood in the water, they come at you even harder. I thought Jeff Blair had a fantastic kind of quote yesterday uh, after the game. He said, you know, they they were just – Houston Astros were just flat-out rude in how they approached Alec Manoa, and it was true. And that that just shows you this league is difficult. This league is absolutely tough. And so what happens is I've seen it before where guys, they start off so well. They they exceed expectations. They become a big deal very quickly. And then just as quickly as they rise, they fall just as as hard. And I've seen it a couple of times where that player just never came back. I was a teammate with a pitcher who was a first round pick very, very quickly shot through the minor league system was a major league starter for a while, had some success and out of nowhere started losing it, sent him down to the minor leagues. And the minute they sent him down, he just was never the same, was never the same. And it was the weirdest thing. Um, 
I think some of that shell shock that he had in the big leagues really affected him negatively. And they, they let it go on for a while. They let him kind of try and work through some of his issues. And he just found a way where he, he couldn't get out of it. And it was all mental. And you look physically, yes, the stuff is down a tick. But more than anything, it's a lot of mental stuff that is going on with him. And it's really, really difficult to uh, to fix and change the mental aspect of the big of, of, of baseball at the big league level. Uh, that's an interesting example vis-a-vis Manoa because I feel like when I think about Alec Manoa and the bravado and what he brings to the mound and who he has been as a pitcher, I feel like the demotion would be really, really difficult to stomach. And what if there's no success at the minor league level? Uh, that's something that worries me, right? So I, I can't not to go back to where we were, um, sure. but not to pick up the ball for a while seems smart with Manoa specifically because if these struggles continue at the minor league level, isn't that like the most terrifying thing? Yes, that is that is the worst case scenario. And I, I don't I don't see that happening. I, I, I really believe that Manoa is he's a competitor. He's a fierce competitor. He's a great teammate. He he really cares about his craft. This is this the stuff that's going on right now with Alec Manoa has nothing to do with, with attitude, effort, preparation. It's just it's one of those things that over the course of everybody's major league career and professional career, you the game will just hit you in the mouth. It just does. It tests people. It is, and it is not a game for the weak and knees or the faint of heart. And you've got to, you learn a lot about yourself in this game. And I think one of the biggest things uh, about this scenario is he is, he is facing this type of adversity for the first time in the major leagues. And it's really, really difficult to, learn how to fail at the major league level. Very, very difficult. This is why for many, many years, a lot of these prospects would spend three, four, five years in the minor leagues because at some point they're going to learn how to fail. They will have some adversity. They will figure it out and they'll have some sort of stability and, and foundation to how they got out of that rough patch. Uh, You look at Manoa, he's been a star really shot right through the minor leagues, good college pitcher. And before you know it, he's, he's getting votes for uh, Cy Young award as a pitcher and never failed, never, never really failed in his life, much less uh, in the minor leagues. So you start to feel some of that adversity and failure as a big leaguer for the first time ever, ever. And you have nothing to pull back from. It's very, very, very difficult uh, to try and figure that out and go through that for the first time in the major leagues where the spotlight is so big, the cameras are so present, uh, every five days is is a big moment. I do feel like he's going to turn it around. I just feel like at the same time he, he needs some time away to mentally step away, take a mental break. He's going to figure it out. It's just going to need, it's going to, he's going to need some time away. We're speaking with Caleb Joseph, a former MLB catcher and current sports analyst. So we think we kind of get an idea of what, what this is like for Alec Manoa. At least we can um, imagine that it's very difficult. But what is it like for teammates around Alec Manoa? I know you've been in a situation you mentioned where you know, similar-esque uh, players uh, you know, suffering or going through something. 
what's the role of teammates? What do teammates do around him? And, and is it affecting maybe the play of the Toronto Blue Jays, knowing that Alec Manoa is struggling on the mound and maybe having to go outside of their own comfort zone to try to you know, pick up the slack in a sense? Yeah, it's a it's a horrible feeling. You You want so badly just to be able to do something for your teammate, anything to help him get through a time like this because you've all experienced it as a player yourself and you know what it feels like and you know that there are days when it feels like you've got a, a giant piano on your back and you just can't get it off and the weight of that pressure, the weight of unmet expectations is, is sometimes just too much to, to handle and to bear. Kevin Gosman had an interview with Hazel May yesterday during the pregame show, and, and he even said, you know, my wife has reached out to his fiance because, you know, if, if he's going through it, she's going through it. That's another aspect that a lot of people forget is you know, it's really hard not to take this type of stuff back home. And so it, it, it affects a lot of your life. And you just want to do anything as a teammate whether it's it's talking to him before the game, after the game, just being there as a friend, being there as a, as a human, because this guy he's beloved in the clubhouse. There 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 are a lot of people that rant and rave about how much he cares about the team, how much he cares about his teammates, and they're just trying to reciprocate that uh, that encouraging type of attitude that he has shown them. And yeah, it's it's. It's so difficult to watch. I mean, I, I truly just feel sorry for the guy. Like, I really, I really feel bad watching him. And you can just see on the look on his face is just it's it's a look of defeat. A guy that has absolutely zero confidence. And when you know that the kind of here we go again is really difficult as a player when you're out there and and as a catcher especially. Yes, it can affect your play. It really can. You you get pumped up just like he will before the game saying, all right, this is going to be the start. Like, we're going to do it right here. We're going to get five innings, maybe a run or two. We're going to have something to build on. This is going to be where it, cha- it changes and turns. Right now, is the, right now is the day. And you kind of psychologically talk yourself up, too, as a teammate of a guy who's struggling really, really bad. And then right out the gate when – three pitches in, you've got first and second, Jordan Alvarez up, you're going, "Uh uh-oh, like this could get out of hand quickly. And it did. And as that happens, as a teammate, you kind of feel that deflated, oh, man, this is just, this is terrible. And, yeah, it can affect you. Um, Biggest thing is Blue Jays need to win games. The Blue Jays have to win games because this – the season is greater than Alec Manoa. This is a team that is trying to win the World Series, which is another reason why you've got to get some sort of some sort of change going here because you can't keep throwing a game away every five days. They can't be pinned behind the eight ball after the first, second, or third inning every five days and 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 get to where they want to go. So yeah, as a teammate it can it can affect you and Hopefully they're able to to figure it out. All these different moving parts, they can press all the right buttons. Maybe ILM rehab start. He feels great. The team feels great. Hopefully all these pieces can can match up. Because like I said, they're they're buying for 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 a playoff berth in a World Series championship. This is this is bigger than just this one small Manoa piece. Yeah, it's not just a Manoa issue, but on the family point, like. 
not every struggle is the same in terms of consequence, right? Like if if you're if you're a pitcher with a hundred million in earnings and you're struggling for the Oakland Athletics right now, it doesn't really matter all that much. But if you're Alec Mano who hasn't got paid yet, yeah, I mean that double that like compounds the issue, right? Like this is a guy who's trying to you know make his career and he still hasn't done that yet, despite you know having Cy Young votes last year and and seeming to have established himself. So there's got to be t- a ton weighing on him and his family, and good on Gosman and his in his family uh, for reaching out. I, I do wonder after though, uh, you know, Go- uh, Manoa didn't do the Blue Jays any favors yesterday, going a third of an inning, but. I was a little bit nervous coming into yesterday because it seemed like the Blue Jays, in a series sweep, hard fought over the New York Mets, had sort of exhausted their resources. Like they weren't, there wasn't much to fall back on with Alec Manoa there. And I think that gets my ears perked up just a little bit because, like, a team that has World Series aspirations should not be taxed by a series like the one that they just got through. Like they had no options in the bullpen. They had no one to turn to if Manoa struggled. And that just seems like it exposed some of the holes in the Blue Jays just as a World Series team in general. Now I get they don't have those, those issues if Manoa's an ace and goes seven innings. But are, do you see cracks beyond Manoa given that what we saw over the weekend and what they had available Monday? Great question. Yeah, I, I think that... Uh, not going to say cracks. I, I think they're vulnerable in a couple spots in the bullpen, especially because guys are, are not performing the way that Blue Jays fans have seen them perform. You talk about Jimmy Garcia, guy like Anthony Bass, who had a, a decent month, a really good month, and then now a not-so-good month. And you look at Pop being on the I.L., I think when you have guys that aren't performing – to their capabilities, it can really stretch you thin really, really quickly. I, I do think, though, the emergence of Pearson, who seems to come in and get better just about every uh, every start he makes out of that bullpen, outside of the, the two runs that he gave up in New York, he, he has looked very, very, very good. He's, he's progressed well. Trevor Richards is striking out the house, and I know he gave up a couple – home runs yesterday as well. Those are really tough games to pitch in, by the way, those absolute blowouts where you're coming in and kind of mopping up. Um, but he's, he's, he's stepped up and, and, and kind of filled some of those voids that a Yimmy Garcia, maybe a bass. And so there, there are, there are just ebbs and flows to the season. And yeah, you would, you would love to not be in that position and have multiple guys ready. Uh, for me, it all, when you have a thin bullpen, it's, usually one of two things. It's obviously a short start by the starter and you're trying to make things up really quickly. Maybe starter only goes four, maybe the starter only goes five. You got to really cover three, four, five innings each and every night, or your offense just uh, is making it too close each and every night. One run games, two run games where you've got to keep throwing the same four or five three, four or five guys and the couple guys down there you kind of want to stay from, stay away from are in a position where when they do have to come in to cover eight or nine innings, they're only one inning guys. So you end up having to use five, six pitchers to cover eight and, and two thirds innings. And you have to end up using guys in leverage situations that not leverage situations, leverage guys in, a game like that when you really don't want to. And I thought Buck made a really nice point is 
in years past, they've had that long guy that would come in and could cover four or five innings. Somebody like a Mitch White or Casey Lawrence would be sitting in that bullpen so that if you have a scenario like that, you've got a guy to cover a ton of innings. You don't have to burn through pretty much the whole bullpen. But those guys are pretty much extinct now. The way that the analytics designs the game plan and stuff, they just really don't need them. So, yeah, they, they're, they're vulnerable in some spots. If, if they keep getting contributions from Richards and Pearson and Yumi Garcia continues to try and figure out Bass, figures it out as well, then they look like a pretty decent bullpen, right? So just the ebbs and flows are, are really funny in baseball sometimes. Talking to Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher and current sports and analyst. Okay, so we've we had a little bit of a, a depressing tone to this interview so far. So let's end on some positive <laughs> vibes, Caleb. I know you're good at that. I've seen the the viral drumming video of you, so I know you got the energy, the vibes, yes. the, the loony dogs. I know you got it. So wh- where's the biggest points of confidence right now? Blue Jays still have an opportunity to win a series against the Houston Astros. Um, they've obviously had a really great. Uh, record outside of the AL East, but um, Vlad might be turning a corner. You had Brandon Belt with the MVP chance. Where are you feeling the most positive vibes around this team right now that might be sustainable moving forward? Love it. Love it. Uh, the, <laughs> the three lefties, the three lefties are, are really starting to impress me. Kevin Kiermaier has impressed me since day one. He, I mean, very, very quietly just continues to hit 300 from the nine hole spot. And I know that a lot of people might roll their eyes saying average doesn't matter. For me, average still is something. You've got Belt that has been really performing to his capabilities. Guys hitting almost 265, 270. And first two and a half weeks of the season, there were a lot of people that never wanted to see him in a Blue Chase uniform ever again. He's gotten quite a few clutch hits. He's getting on base at almost a, what is it, borderline 500 Mm-hmm. on base percentage mm-hmm. right now it's phenomenal and creating a lot of traffic and Dalton Varsho has been able to really hit the ball hard over the last five or six games and that's what Ross Atkins and company went out to get is some balance in that lineup and outside of Kiermaier it's been a little bit of a rough go for Varsho and Belt and it seems like they might be really starting to turn a corner you add those three lefties in the lineup that can consistently all three together really hit the ball hard You've got you've got you've got something there. So I've, I'm starting to get excited about the potential of all three of those guys really hitting their stride at the same time for a good long extended period, and see what that does in terms of creating some more offense for John Schneider to be able to play around with bullpen usage and extending starters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, positive wise, I I think Bassett, man, what a story this guy has been. Amazing. I mean, the start in mm-hmm. the start in. New York, phenomenal, <laughs> fantastic with, with everything going on with the potential of, of his wife giving birth as he's throwing pitches. I can't even imagine. <laughs> no, I mean, that's pressure, that, Caleb. That's, that's pressure. pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, was pun intended. Is that what? Uh, I'll leave that one the, alone. <laughs> yeah. The, the, um, the way that he's been able to step in and just really kind of take over for what Manoa has not been able to do has been absolutely clutch and key for this squad. So, and like I was saying earlier, I'm encouraged by what Richards and Pearson have done. Those two guys being able to step up in the absence of some other guys on there, not meeting expectations has been good. And that's what keeps the team afloat. When when guys pick each other up, it's uh, it's how you keep things afloat. And there's a ton of baseball left. And you just got to find a way to get into the playoffs as 
kind of the Florida Panthers have shown. You just got to find a way to get in and catch fire at the right time, and, and anything can happen. So, yeah, I'm still really encouraged by this Blue Jays team. Because Ailish demands that I'm the negative one, quickly, Caleb, before we let you go, have you ever seen someone try to blow a pitch foul before? Uh, I I have. Okay. I, I have a couple times, and <laughs> it wasn't my favorite. I get it. I was probably – it wasn't my favorite look, but – Desperate times call for desperate measures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put it through that way. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Uh, we appreciate you jumping on this morning. I was going to say it's fun, but that was kind of a... Uh, we had to do it, though. We had to get through it. We had to get through the Minoan discussion. Yeah. We did. We'll all be better for it today. We'll move on, and hopefully the Blue Jays will make the right decision this weekend. Thanks for joining us this morning. You got it. That's Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher, and of course on the desk here at Sportsnet. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty tough thing. You to were watch. like too much negativity, and I see you getting uncomfortable, and that was happening in this. <laughs> well, area. I just wanted to make sure that everyone's, you know, smiling on their way to work once this morning. Mm-hmm. It's Looney Dogs tonight, okay? That's true. There you go. You, you can didn't get to smile. your Looney Dog question. If you want to find something to make you smile, type in Caleb Joseph drumming video on YouTube or wherever. And if you forgot back in 2020, he went viral with the Blue Jays doing this uh, fun Rush-inspired drumming routine. I watched it last night. I needed a little positivity before we talked to Caleb, and there you go. So that'll make you laugh. It'll make you smile this morning. Caleb knows to bring the vibes. Uh, There you go. You'll have to share it. Okay, so we got Hunter Brown on the mound versus Kevin Gosman tonight. 7-7 first pitch. That's on Sportsnet. Sportsnet Now. Sportsnet 590. The fan is streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590. And, of course, the Sportsnet app. Looking to just flush yesterday and start fresh. We have Haley Salvian joining us to wrap up the show. National Hockey Writer, The Athletic, and host of Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You can send in your wake and rake picks. In the meantime, we'll get to that right at the end of the show. Maybe look at the Con Smythe update because things are getting interesting in your futures bets, Justin Cuthbert. Okay, Haley Salvian joins us to wrap up the show on the Fan Morning Show. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're wrapping up the Fan Morning Show on a Tuesday morning. It's Looney Dogs tonight. Kevin Gosman on the mound. There's your points. Come on, good times confidence. ahead. What are we Let's doing go. here? Whatever. But no, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Maybe. Game two, Jays Astros tonight. That's 7 o'clock. No NBA, no NHL tonight. Everyone's on a little break as they travel to Florida. Everyone's in Florida. Everyone's on a break tonight. I do appreciate it. I do appreciate a little, stretch it out a little bit. Maybe yeah. a little off night, you know? There you go. Kind of a little bit more of a chill night. Tori- Hopefully Gosman can set the tone. Maybe get it done pretty quickly, too. I think that's, Two his, hours, 10. that's his whole MO. Set yeah. the tone, get it done, wrap God it bless up. Kevin Gosman. Hit the over Ks and move on. Yeah. I will say, Vegas has done a really great job at changing the narrative that these are not hockey markets because Vegas looks like the absolute place to be in the world right now. They are doing a dynamite job mm-hmm. at hosting the Stanley Cup final. I think everybody's having a lot of fun. I saw some tweets about the price of drinks. I don't know if you saw this. No, tell me. Somebody posted that they got a margarita at the game. Mm-hmm. Guess how much the margarita was in U.S. dollars. I'll go $28. $44 for a margarita (laughs) at the game. Wow. I mean, you know, you're going to Vegas, you're going to lose some money, but uh, probably not getting $44 margs. I've probably had uh, 
I would guess I've had like a $30 beer in Vegas before. Like it can get extreme. Was it like the craft beer from? No, it's probably like the the lowest denominator possible. But things can get you a just little pricey you're gonna spend some in money. certain spots. But then you could also go to a convenience store, walk around with one for 99 cents. So it all balances out. You find your way to make it work. Okay, Haley Salvian, National Hockey Writer at The Athletic, host of Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. Good morning, Haley. How are we? I'm doing well. I'm thinking about the $20 margarita I saw at a baseball stadium this weekend that I walked away from. Mm. Good call. Proud. Good call. I think 44 <laughs> would be out. Uh, that's U.S. dollars too. The exchange rate. That's got to be. Yeah, that's like a that's $65 like a drink. $53 dollars. It is actually $59.13. I just did a quick math Met on the, the Google search engine that, still. That is. And then you're tipping on top of that? Yeah. No way. Honestly, you have to. You got well, go to go hit the roulette table afterwards. Um, but I will say, Haley, doesn't it look like Vegas has done a really good job at changing that narrative that, you know, maybe not a hockey city? It must rank pretty high for you in like places you want to go watch hockey right now. Yeah, I've actually, I've never seen a game at T-Mobile. It looks unbelievable. Um, one of my colleagues was on the road covering that series against Edmonton. And then obviously we have a beat writer there mm-hmm. full time, Jesse Granger, and he posts the intros every game. And then, you know, one of my colleagues who went from, you know, a different U.S. market over to Vegas was like, you can't hear anything in here. Like, it's unbelievable. It's everything that, like, you think it's going to look like on TV, but plussed up. Like, you just can't hear anything. It's kind of nonstop. Um, and it's been cool to see what they've done for the cup final because you you know that they go over the top in the regular season and it's like well I can't wait to see what they do for the biggest games of an NHL season you've got like a pool party with little John and you're like okay yeah I got to get to a game in Vegas <laughs> yeah. looks like hockey works there pretty well yeah, uh, an unbelievable success story. Probably the best in Gary Bettman's entire tenure, and we were kind of ripping him yesterday because every time he speaks at a Stanley Cup final, it's like the worst thing ever, at least is for me. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of criticisms, but um, getting to Vegas first has been an, a, a remarkable success um, for the National Hockey League. And it seems like it's going to turn into a championship within six years because Vegas looks like the vastly superior team. Of course, we're not there yet, but they have been certainly through two games, uh, the team to beat. In what ways have you seen Vegas appear superior in this series? And what does Florida have to change to, you know, get back into this thing? I mean, Vegas just checks all the boxes, right? Like they've got the, they've got star power in Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Jonathan March. So they've got the depth. Um, you know, I used this stat before the cup final started and I, forgive me, I didn't go back and change it, but heading into the Stanley cup final, when their bottom six was on the ice, they were outscoring opponents 21 to nine. They've got the useful depth players at forward. They've got a really balanced and big D group. Like that's been a big difference. And especially compared to Florida's uh, defense core, like Florida's D is not very good. I think we saw that um, explicitly last night. And then you compare them to Vegas's group of defensemen who, you know, just play a solid game. They can box out. They can move the puck. They make a good first pass. And they're also huge. Um, so they've got, they check those boxes. They're also physical. They've got a lot of big bodies um, up and down that lineup. And Aiden Hill is playing unbelievable. Um, so they just, and they've got the experience 
in this moment, they have a number of guys who have won um, a Stanley Cup, whether it's, you know, Ivan Barbashev or Alec Martinez, um, Alex Petrangelo. I mean, Jonathan Quick as well, although he's just backing up Aiden Hill and hasn't played, you know, meaningful role for Vegas since the first, like, week or so after getting traded over there. Um, but they've also got a bunch of the original misfits who made it to the cup final in, in 2017-18. So they just they check all those boxes. And I think the biggest thing that they showed this year or this game last night is their composure compared to Florida's. Um, that's definitely something that the Panthers are going to need to sort out. Um heading into game three, they've got three days off. They've got to, you know, get more level-headed. They've got to figure out their D group. Um, you know, there was interesting kind of conversation we were having last night watching the game. It's like, how much of this is on Bobrovsky and how much of this is on the D group that's in front of him um, right now? And I just thought that a lot of shots were getting through them. They were also like screening their own goalie. I thought Henrik Lundqvist, um, he put it way better than I ever could. Um, you know, no kidding. Henrik Lundqvist could talk about the goalie position better than I can. Um, but the one point that he made that like really stuck with me last night was just Bobrovsky was trying to make glove saves last night on pucks that he couldn't see. And I think a lot of that is his defensemen need to do a better job. Um, but also I think he could have maybe fought through screens a little bit better. Um, I think it was a bit of a mix of both. I don't know if I'm ready to say that Bobrovsky's turned into a pumpkin already, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure he's allowed, what, eight goals in 87 minutes against Vegas after only letting in, you know, five and, you know, six and ten against Toronto and Carolina. So it's not the same Bobrovsky through two games for sure. Maybe back on home ice will help uh, heal some of those things that are ailing the Florida Panthers. But uh, let's go back to something you mentioned about the original misfits. Uh, Jonathan Marchessault has been a very, very bright light here for the Vegas Golden Knights. I think even maybe the playoff MVP, Con Smythe, uh, odds are you know tipping in his favor. And the revenge angle is something we can't forego. What's it been like watching what Marchessault has been able to do, especially in a market that, I mean, we didn't watch every Vegas Golden Knights game, of course, but just seeing what he's been up to over this playoff run has been pretty remarkable yeah it's been great he's got 12 goals in his last 12 games now um that's pretty good been yeah it's not bad at all um getting hot at the right time i guess is pretty good for march so i think what's been i've been thinking about with him is like why was he left exposed and i had to stop myself from like going down the rabbit hole on the Panthers expansion plans and everything last night, because I don't think I was going to be able to like wrap my head around it in a way that made me feel satisfied with it. Um, and I guess the the fair thing to say is, you know, he, so he had a 30 goal season uh, the year he got taken in expansion. Um, and then he was left unprotected in that 2017 draft. But that was kind of his first year of showing he could be a productive NHL player. It was 30 goals, 51 points for the Panthers in 2017. Um, 
when he joined the Panthers like a year earlier, he'd only played around 47 NHL games to that point over three seasons with like two, three different teams. Um, so I guess the Panthers were just like, eh, it's probably a flash in the pan, whatever. We got to protect somebody else. But then Vegas saw that and went, ooh, we might have something here. Uh, and since then, nobody in Vegas Golden Knights history, it's a short history, but their history mm-hmm nonetheless has more goals assists or points than Jonathan March so he was an all-star in 2022 he's crossed the 500 games played mark at this point and I think that's impressive considering that he was you know still just getting started uh the year he got taken in expansion and I think he's putting himself firmly in the con Smythe trophy conversations so I think watching March so and watching Riley Smith as well because he was traded to Vegas uh would they take Jonathan March so and also they have a trade to announce um I think watching this, it's been really, if if anyone likes the narrative, anyone likes the drama or the plot, um, it's been really fun to watch Florida's loss kind of continue to be Vegas's gain when it matters the most. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've seen a lot happen here. I think Marcheseau uh, could win the playoff MVP. Certainly, I think he's a favorite right now. Uh, I think he could be, you know, the first guy to receive the cup after. Like, I think he's he's kind of <laughs> taken the torch from Marc-Andre Fleury in terms of the face of the franchise. The original misfit, I think, is a real thing. And, and there are a couple guys, obviously, that have been there the entire six years. But it feels like Marcheseau best embodies that uh, or most obviously embodies that. And I was reminded, you reminded the rabbit hole yesterday, uh, at least in terms of the expansion draft, I was reminded of him uh, driving a Lamborghini to game one of the Stanley Cup final when they went there in their expansion season. And and in retrospect, maybe a little cringe, but also very Vegas. And it feels like they have grown a lot in those six years. And uh, this seems like the coronation moment uh, for Marcheseau and Vegas uh, as a franchise. Uh, Let's go to Aiden Hill, who's sort of the newcomer in terms of uh, the Vegas thing, the Vegas rise. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen enough to think that he's going to be like a prized asset in unrestricted free agency? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I wrote a story looking at the top 10 goalie free agents heading into UFA um, or RFA status because the UFA goalie group is really bad. So I was like, oh, I need to add some RFAs in here because I don't need to be, you know, debating James Reimer versus Cam Talbot for, you know, the starting goalie here. Um, and Aiden Hill was a really interesting one in that story because obviously it was, it was written like right around when he had started to take over the day. It was like, all right, he was impressive in Edmonton. Like that was good. He wasn't expected to come in and be the guy. It was Laurent Bourgeois, but Aiden Hill's come in and he's done all right. Can he keep doing it? And that was when that story came out. And all we've seen since then is, yeah, he can keep doing it. Um, So in that story, I had kind of said, like, he's been great in the playoffs, but this is his, you know, background or his stat line. Like, he doesn't have experience as a number one goalie. Um, at least in the regular season. And I do think that watching him play this way in the Stanley Cup final is going to give him the kind of UFA bump. That's either, I don't know if he's going to get some big ticket. I think he's going to be like worth a flyer for someone. And I'm sure he'll end up getting well paid because of how weak the goalie market is and because of the pedigree that guys who win Stanley Cups um, do, assuming that they do win and assuming that he continues to play this way. I mean, he has a 937 save percentage through 13 playoff games. He's 9-3-0. and 
Uh, he's a 2.06 goals against average. It's incredible. Um, but we also need to keep in mind that, um, you know, he started 88 games in his NHL career, mostly in a backup role um, with the Coyotes, the Sharks, and the Vegas Golden Knights. So I don't think he's going to be getting some big ticket, but I part of me wonders if the Vegas Golden Knights are just going to say, yeah, that's our new number one goalie um, because they have a, most of their goalies, if not all of their goalies, whether it's Johnson Quick, Brassois, um, Logan Thompson, like they're all free agents this summer except maybe Logan Thompson. So I wonder if Vegas just keeps him and he wants to stay. Um, but I do think he's going to he's gonna move up the, the goalie free agent charts. Um, but we also have to keep in mind that there's like Freddie Anderson, there's Tristan Jari, um, there's some RFA goalies like Jeremy Swayman, there's some trade candidate goalies like Connor Hellebuck, John Gibson, like those guys are gonna those are gonna be the the top tier guys, but I think Aiden Hill is gonna be an interesting one to track. Um, how much does this Stanley Cup playoff boost provide for him in terms of his his next contract, um, because this really is his first run being a legitimate number one. Um, So I'll be curious to see, because I think the most he'd ever started was this season, which was 27 games. Well, maybe he'll have a Stanley Cup at the end of all of it, and maybe a Conn Smythe trophy if he's lucky. (laughs) It'd be a pretty good way to to go out into uh, whatever could happen this offseason. Okay, Haley, well, appreciate you joining us this morning. We're up against the clock. Um, Always great to chat, and you can check out Haley's work at The Athletic and host of Hockey Central Sports at 960 The Fan. Thanks, Haley. Chat soon. That's Haley Salvian. Um, All right, we got no NHL, no NBA tonight, but we got MLB to tee up in the Wake and Rake. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. So I am proud this morning, proud to announce that I'm sharing a brain with Neil from Newfoundland. Wow. Stefano Tsitsipas, plus six and a half versus Carlos Alcaraz. It's a big uh, one. Maybe the two best guys. Uh, Novak's still in there, of course. But this is a marquee, marquee quarterfinal at the men's side of the French Open. Uh, Six and a half is a lot. I know Alcaraz is probably the best in the world right now, if not Djokovic. Uh, But Tsitsipas has been unbelievable of late. He's in great form. I think this is a war rather than a beatdown. So I will take the six and a half games with Tsitsipas because I'm sharing a brain this morning with Neil. Okay, that was Neil's pick in Newfoundland. I'm sharing a brain with Ron and Jules, I'm going Gosman over six and a half, half strikeouts. He's the ace of this team, and he's going to bring it tonight. Uh, it's a little bit of juice, but six and a half, I'm confident with that one. And Ron and Jules also liked uh, Bo Bichette over hits, but we'll go with Gosman over strikeouts. You've got Pirates on the run line as an option here in the text line. You've got Jays over four and a half runs and five bucks on Marcus Samian over one and a half hits. He's going for 25 on a streak. That's Chris, Courier Chris and Bolton today on the move. And then finally, Corey from Port Hope, of course, wake and rake pick. He's going to take the Guardians on the money line over the Red Sox. Shane Beaver's on the mound for Cleveland and they're at home, so they'll take care of business. So the the Guardians with Beaver was my, I was looking at base ball and I was like that's kind of the one that sticks out but then I went the tennis route mm-hmm. um, so that speaks to me a little bit I think anyone against the athletics always speaks to me I think that's a good default uh, selection and they've got a really really good pitcher on the mound or at least one that's performing well seven and oh, or seven and one on the season Mitch Keller uh, but I'm open to allowing Ailish Forfar 
to make the extent. Uh, Corey from Port Hope. Uh, we're locking in Guardians on the money line over the Red Sox. Uh, love to see the Red Sox lose, so that helps. Okay, so Kevin Gosman over six and a half strikeouts. CC Pass plus six and a half today against Carlos Alcaraz. That's an afternoon game, so we don't have to rush to get that pick in. Well, you still get it in, but it's not in five minutes. And Guardians on the money line against the Red Sox. Probably that up. That's plus 452 on your Tuesday. Always betting the over for Looney Dogs tonight. Blue Jays fans have just been hungry for nitrates. Betting on the over has been the nuts for sure on the Looney Dogs. <laughs> hungry for nitrates again at the ballpark. And we should mention, because we've been uh, kind of flirting with the idea of making Con Smythe selections today, mm-hmm. uh, Marcheseau is now a minus, minus money favorite. Uh, he came into last night's game, I think, around the plus 500 mark. That's crazy. Scores twice, gets 12 and 12. Uh, that feels somewhat undeniable, mm-hmm. uh, but our buddy Jeff Merrick was on at seven, and he says that Jack Eichel, who's plus 500, would still be the guy in his eyes, and of course, I don't think Jeff Merrick's actually going to vote on the Smythe. Maybe, maybe not, uh, but he walks in the same circles as those who do. The peaceful warrior. So that might be somewhat interesting. Eichel's still not out of it. He leads the team in scoring, uh, but Marcheseau, uh, I think the narrative is really good for Marcheseau. Well, let me and tell you, I'm the, seeing the Jack 12 Eichel and 12 is huge. at plus 650 on some books. Okay, there I'll you go. I'll let you know after the show where so, you can get that. So, yeah, shop around. Maybe Eichel's worth it if you've got any investment on either Hill or Marcheseau. And Aiden Hill who you said would never win the Conn Smythe and is a bust of a goalie, and you never uh, wanted me to say his name on the radio uh, again. <laughs> it's plus 400. He's definitely made me look a little stupid. Uh, he's been very, very good. All fun and games. All right. That's... 707 first pitch tonight. You've got Kevin Gosman on the mound against Hunter Brown. It'll be a great pitching matchup tonight. Try to right the ship from yesterday's disaster. That's 7 o'clock on Sportsnet. Sportsnet now. Sportsnet 590. The fan is streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590. 590 as well as the Sportsnet app. And happy birthday to my mother. Oh, happy birthday. Justin, why didn't you say that earlier? It was just a... We could have sung for her. No, I want to do it at the end of the clock. Happy birthday. Everybody have a wonderful, wonderful Tuesday.